0: Following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at um, verses 36 through 38, and that's page eight five eight in the Pew Bible. Uh, it was wonderful having the crew from Bix here last week. Um and like I said before next Saturday we'll be traveling down uh for Daniel's graduation from the program and uh, so you can pray pray for us. We're gonna make that round trip in one day so that's well uh, it's a day trip. <laughs> it's gonna take all day. Um but today, we're going to go back to the Gospel of Luke and um, go back to the day that Mary and Joseph presented um, baby Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. Now you may remember from our last time together, if you were with us, um, uh, that a man named Simeon um, sang a song of worship uh, to the Lord uh, for allowing him to see the Lord's Christ, Uh didn't just get to see the Messiah, but got to help hold him in his arms, um, even as a baby. And today we're going to look at uh, someone else who that song from Simeon. So let's look at Luke chapter two, starting at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years Father, we look forward to what you have for us from your word this morning. Um, We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak and that our hearts would be receptive to your message. Lord, I am just an empty cup. I pray that your spirit would fill me and everyone else and you would pour out your spirit upon us today so that we could understand your word and put it into practice. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so, Anna. What do we know about Anna? Um, Well, what we read was pretty much it. Um, uh, (laughs) Yeah. very thin well she only gets a couple of verses right um, so this is pretty much it this is the only time that Anna is mentioned in scripture um, there are no other references to her at all and she doesn't even get quoted um, she's just mentioned um, and it says that she did say some things but we don't know what it was so we're gonna we're gonna squeeze a sermon out of that She's pretty obscure, I have to admit, but there is still a great deal that we can learn from her. I don't, I don't think I need to tell you that in our world, there is so much vying for our attention. It just It's a constant battle. TV and movies and the internet, they're all shaping how we live. Our phones are listening to us to target us with the right kind of marketing, so we'll see. That product we were just talking I was just talking to somebody about that shoehorn, and look, there it is on my on my feed. It happened to me the other day that i wasn't i didn't say anything to anyone about a particular thing I was thinking about and there it was it's creepy. Um, Anyway, we're constantly bombarded. I, this isn't news to any any of you, I'm sure. We're we're just constantly bombarded with influences outside of the Word of God. And and think what you will about that, whether it's good or bad. We can laugh it off or be terrified. I guess that that's up to you. Um, but we do have to be careful to measure what. Um, who and what kind of people we allow to influence us? Um, and the people that have the most influence on our lives are the ones um, whom whom we th- about whom we think the most, right? It's not just random um, people we don't know. Um, it's It should be at least the ones that we that we think the most of. And if it's the people that we think, the most of, that have the most influence on our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what is it about them that garners our respect? Um, In the world system, uh, again, uh, no mystery here, those that garner the most respect in the world are those with money and power and talent, influence, right? And that's how you get influence in the world system. And maybe, maybe respect isn't the right word, but attention uh, certainly is. And there's a constant battle for our attention. And who we give our attention to affects how we see the world, and how we act in the world. And I'd like to contend that today that the world system of who and what should have our attention is the exact opposite of the kingdom of God in Christ. Um, And today's text is an example of that. Now, when Luke sat down to write his gospel, he had to make choices about what uh, should be included in there. And I think what's interesting is if you read the gospel of John, at the very end of it, he says, I think if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world um, uh, to hold all of that. So the gospel writers were selective about what they included, and Luke chose to include Anna. I don't think that's a mistake at all. Luke didn't write the account of some billionaire, socialite, politician, movie star, athlete. I mean, he wrote about a little old lady who got to meet Jesus. And if you're offended by a little old lady, um, she's 84. The Bible says she's advanced in the years. I'm just, just saying. Anna was not an example of wealth and power and privilege. She is, however, an example of faithfulness and godliness and chastity. John Calvin said, these are the qualities that justly give to men and women weight and estimation. Faithfulness, godliness, chastity. There's much that we can learn from the character of Anna and much that we can adopt of her example. St. Ambrose wrote, Christ received a witness at his birth, not only from prophets and shepherds, but also from aged and holy men and women. Every age and both sexes and the marvels of events confirm our faith. A virgin brings forth, the baron becomes a mother, the dumb speaks, Elizabeth prophesies, the wise men adore, the babe leaps in the womb, the widow praises God. Simeon prophesied, she who was a wedded, a widow prophesied, she who was a virgin prophesied, and now a widow prophesies that all states of life and sexes might be there. I think that's really important because there are a lot of people that stand outside of the church and pronounce judgment because, look, your Christianity is, is men first, right? And ladies take a back seat. That's not what the Bible represents. Here's Anna, right? Um, Mary, Elizabeth, this is not a men-only club, and the ladies just take care of lunch, right? That's not it at all. Luke wrote that Anna was a prophetess. That's not a label that uh, is given lightly either. I mean, we've, to this point, It's been 400 years since a prophet spoke in Israel. And then Anna, right? And then Simeon. And all of a sudden, things are starting to happen because Messiah has come and and things are changing. They're shifting. What does it mean to be a prophetess? Right? And I think, again, a prophet or prophetess, that definition in today's day and age is all screwed up, too. A prophet is one who predicts the future. Nope. That's not what the Bible means when it says that. It means a person who speaks on behalf of God. That's what a prophet is. Sometimes that includes um, things that are going to happen that haven't happened yet. The Old Testament is full of that. The book of Revelation, that's what it is, right? Speaking on behalf of God is the important part. The strict definition of prophetess is a woman who proclaims inspired utterances on behalf of God. I also think that it's no coincidence that Anna's name means grace. I I love that. I love that name study, and that's just because I'm a nerd about stuff like that. But I, I don't think that's a mistake either. Her name means grace. It's not at all coincidental that the Lord chose to speak the gospel of grace through a woman whose name means grace. It's also interesting to note that, uh, that though we know Anna was a widow, her husband's name wasn't given. Her husband wasn't mentioned, but her father was. And. Um, and what's interesting about her father, we don't know anything about him personally. Uh, again, other than uh, what tribe they were from, his name was Phanuel, right? And that's like that's one letter off from Fanaf, which I think that's pretty cool, <laughs> right? Change that L to an F, right? Well, Phanuel was from the tribe of Asher. And this is the only time this particular this particular man is mentioned here in Scripture. His name is not without meaning either. Um, he was named after Jacob's Fanuel. Uh, and in Hebrew that's pronounced Peniel, and that's where that's the spot where Jacob wrestled with the angel in the Old Testament. Um, that's Genesis thirty-two thirty, if you're interested. And I've been to that spot. It's a beautiful, um, a beautiful spot. I have to ask. Daniel, if he made it there or not. We, hadn't t- we didn't talk about that. Peniel. Genesis 32.30 says, So Je- Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Peniel, Fenuel means the face of God. So Phanuel's daughter, I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but I'm going to say it with confidence. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Phanuel's daughter, Anna, by God's grace, also saw the face of God, the child, Jesus, that day in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, those are interesting facts. (laughs) It's Anna's example and her character that we can learn the most from. She had qualities that justly give her weight and estimation, like Calvin said. Anna was uh, long a true widow. Right? She, wasn't, she wasn't a widow for 84 years, as some translations put it. She was 84 years old and became a widow after being married only seven years. So that means that she was somewhere between 19 and 23 when her husband died and lived as a widow um, until she was 84. What does it mean to be a true widow? The Bible actually gives us a definition. The Apostle Paul gave us the definition of what a true widow is and what the church's responsibility is towards them in 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. I'll read that for you. Paul writes, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. But if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may may care for those who are truly widows. I'm sure that's what you signed up for this morning. Getting married again after uh, being widowed uh, was clearly not forbidden, nor was it a sign of weakness of character. But for Anna to remain a widow for as long as she did, does speak to the strength of her character. She put a priority on worship of the Lord over her own desires and affections. And she decided uh, to worship the Lord continually in the temple, night and day. Her pattern of self-denial is also evidenced in that she added fasting to her prayer and worship. And a quick note on fasting, Uh, just in case you're curious. Fasting is uh, denying yourself food for periods of time for no other purpose than to help oneself focus solely on prayer. Um, Fasting is often mentioned in conjunction with prayer in the New Testament, Uh, it's not designed to be a public display. but a private and personal act only to aid in prayer. It's also not a requirement, but rather it's a personal act of devotion and worship. Jesus condemned those who made a big deal about their fasting. Oh, just look at me! I'm so I I wear sackcloth and burlap sacks so everybody will know that I'm fasting. Right? They Jesus said they got their reward already. Um, because all they wanted was attention from people. That's not what fasting is for. Um, also, uh, the Bible does not represent fasting as uh, like having a reward system. <laughs> you know, like I've been fasting for for two weeks now, and I expect something from the Lord. That, it's, not a, it's not an act of sacrifice. It's an act of focus so that you're, you're foking, focusing specifically on prayer. That's what it's for. Um, and there's no mystery to it. It's, no, it's not a magical formula. Um, just because you're fasting, the Lord's going to do exactly what you want him to do. Good luck with that. Verse 37 says that Anna didn't depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Well, this is a little bit of hyperbole. Uh, that does exist in Scripture, right? We would say uh, Anna's there all the time. Is she really there all the time? Well, no. We, we would say, well, she never leaves that place. Well, what we mean is she's there a lot, right? And, then, and I, that's what Luke means. She's, she's there a lot. I mean, you don't, you, you don't get to live in the temple. There weren't apartments around the edges. Um, either way, it's clear that Anna put a priority on communi- communing with God in the temple. Uh, Pouring out her heart to him. Praying for the redemption of Jerusalem continuously. Praying that Messiah would come and bring that redemption to Jerusalem. And she got to see it. That's pretty cool. Anna also communed with the saints. Verse 38 says... And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is an important statement, right? There are people who were waiting um, for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they're talking about Simeon, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. They're waiting for Messiah. Anna wasn't the only one. Simeon wasn't the only one. There were faithful Old Testament saints looking forward to Jesus just as we're, uh, we look back into history. They're looking forward in history, right? They were looking forward to the first coming of Messiah. They're looking forward in faith. So if you're thinking about Old Testament saints or the people in the Old Testament, were they saved or not? Are they saved like us or not? Well, yes, they're looking forward to Messiah, right? Looking forward in faith to Jesus. These people weren't hoping for a political or a temporal Messiah that would come in and kick out the Romans and give them back their land. That's unfortunately what many Jews of that day and many Jews even today still are they're, they're waiting for Messiah to show up to give them back their land what, what good is that it's just land when Messiah comes again Jesus is coming again he is bringing the new Jerusalem to us and he's going to wipe out the old heavens and the old earth and reestablish the new Jerusalem on the new earth. Yay! Right? That's our hope. These folks that Anna was talking with were hoping for a spiritual Messiah. They're hoping for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by faith in him. and Anna's faith was rewarded. Her faith became sight when the day came that she got to see Jesus the Messiah with her own eyes. Anna is a saint worth imitating. All right? She's looking forward in hope to to Messiah, communing with the saints, her faith got rewarded. Her consistency, her holiness, her prayerfulness, her self-denial, that's worth imitating. She was rewarded because she was faithful with so little. All she had was strung together vague promises from the Old Testament, looking forward to Messiah and the redemption that he would bring. What advantage do we have over her? We have the entire canon of Scripture, the whole Bible. We have the testimonies of the saints, the witness of his church throughout the ages, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. May we be as faithful as Anna. She had so little, and we have so much. And we, like Anna, she was looking forward to his first coming. And we are looking forward to his second coming. Anna's name means grace. Her father's name means the face of God. The good news of grace is that Messiah has come. And his name is Jesus. He has taken away the sins of the world. If we turn from our wicked ways... And trust in him. For it is by grace through faith in Jesus Messiah that we are saved. And we will see his face. May we all, like Anna, by grace through faith, see the face of God in Christ and live. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your word. We're so thankful for your spirit who indwells those who have faith in you. We're grateful for the testimony of the church throughout the ages. We're thankful for all the advantages that we have over Anna. I pray, Lord, that we would imitate her faithfulness, her godliness, her self-denial, her faith in you lord help us to take advantage of the advantages that we have help us to know you more by knowing your word to hear your words for us you have given us such great gifts lord help us to hear the testimony of your church help us to be the testimony of your church to tell those around us of your faithfulness and our hope in you. That we would be able to share not just the consolation of Israel or the redemption of Jerusalem, but the consolation of the world, the redemption of those who would put their faith in you. That our friends and family would know forgiveness and adoption as your children through faith in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.